Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Michael. And I'm Shane. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 81, Dusty Finish Volume 2. Hey, baby. Whoa. I was supposed to do that as a Dusty, but it just came out (laughs) not as Dusty at all. I didn't put my tongue forward into my teeth. (laughs) So this episode that you're listening to, we're going to put all of the Dusty Finishes from episode 41 through episode 80 all together in a nice little fun compact episode, you know. So you can listen to all those just back to back to back. If you're anything like like me, you don't remember anything ever. So having them all here in one place, pull out the notepad, write down some notes, do some Googling, watch some uh, old matches on the YouTube. Or if you're just having a bad day and you need to hear a soothing voice telling you a story about wrestling, Matt is here for you. A soothing voice it is. I appreciate (laughs) it. Basically, we start in 1963... And we make our way all the way to 1987 in these episodes. The year of my uh, birth. Good year, then. Yeah, great year. I was 10, man. It was great. Sit back, relax, enjoy, listen to a little bit of a look back a little farther into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Luthez had defeated Nature Boy Buddy Rogers for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. But the safeguards put into place had backfired, creating an opportunity in the Northeast region. Tootsmont and Vincent J. McMahon's Capital Wrestling Corporation ran New York City, and with that success came power. They controlled the booking for most of the NWA's territories. Capital would withdraw from the NWA and become the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. That's on January 24th, three The WWWF would name Buddy Rogers the inaugural champion just a few months later, reasoning that since Thez hadn't won the title in a two out of three falls match, Rogers had never lost it. But his reign was not long as a new challenger would soon arrive. Buddy Rogers had become WWWF champion. In April of 1963. But on May 17th, Bruno Sammartino would win the title in a 48-second match. Rogers would claim the loss only came because of a heart attack he suffered a week prior. But the Nature Boy would never win the title back. Bruno Sammartino, born on October 6th, 1935, in Italy, before immigrating to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, after World War II. Bruno would turn to weightlifting to gain confidence as a youngster and would set a world record bench press of 565 pounds. San Martino would make his professional wrestling debut in 1959 and won his first championship by 1962 in Toronto. Less than a year later, he would become the second WWWF champion and he would stay champion for over seven years. For his accomplishments, Bruno Sammartino would be inducted into the Professional Wrestling WWE 
and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. While the WWWF had broken away, the NWA was still going strong with Luthez in his third reign as champion. But Canada's greatest athlete was rising up to challenge for the belt. Luthez, in his third reign as NWA World Heavyweight Champion, lasted almost three years to the day. But on January 7, 1966, Gene Kanitsky would defeat Thez in St. Louis, Missouri. Gene Kanitsky, born in 1928 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He would play football for the Edmonton Eskimos in the Canadian Football League for one year before suffering a torn kneecap. He would retire from football and move into wrestling. Kanitsky would make his professional debut in 1952 in Arizona and would win his first major championship a year later in Los Angeles. As an emerging talent, he wrestled Luthez in 1954, losing in two straight falls. Kanitsky would continue his growth, moving from territory to territory, winning different titles, pushing his exposure to the top of the NWA ranks. The pinnacle, though, would be the victory over Thez in 66 to become the ninth NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Gene Kanitsky would hold the title for over three years, making trips to Honolulu, Tokyo, and Los Angeles to defend his title. He would be inducted into the NWA, Professional Wrestling, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames for his accomplishments. After holding the belt for over three years, Gene Kanitsky would drop the NWA World Heavyweight Championship to Dory Funk Jr. on February 11, 1969, in Tampa, Florida, when Funk would put on a spinning toehold for the submission. Dory would then hold the belt for over four years. Dory Funk Jr., born February 3, 1941, in Indiana to Hall of Fame wrestler Dory Funk. Funk Jr. would make his debut in 1963 in Amarillo, Texas, out of his father's promotion, Western State Sports. Demonstrating a hard-hitting style, using uppercut forearm smashes, suplexes, leg locks, even being credited with the invention of the Texas Cloverleaf Submission Hold, Dory would work his way through Florida, Missouri, and Japan before winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. He would hold the belt uninterrupted for the second longest reign in history. Through the years, Dory Funk Jr. would make his name in NWA, WWF, ECW, WCW, and All Japan Wrestling, with his last match being in 2017 at the age of 76. He runs the Funking Conservatory Professional Wrestling School, which has trained such wrestlers as the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, Kurt Angle, and Ted DiBiase. For his accomplishments and contributions to the sport, Dory Funk Jr. has been elected to the NWA Professional Wrestling WWE Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Bruno Sammartino had the longest continuous championship reign in the history of the sport at 2,803 days. So those fans at Madison Square Garden on January 18, 1971, got quite a surprise when the Russian bear, Ivan Koloff, would defeat Sammartino with a top rope knee drop to become the WWWF World Heavyweight Champion. Koloff, born August 25, 1942, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, raised on a dairy farm along with his nine siblings. 
At the age of eight, he wanted to become a wrestler and would leave high school ten years later to enroll in a wrestling school. Koloff would make his debut in 1961, wrestling around the Toronto area, gaining much experience. Ivan Koloff would debut in the WWWF in 1969, being managed by Captain Lou Albano, and would soon rise to be the biggest heel in the company, feuding with San Martino until he would finally win the belt. After his time in the WWWF, he would find success in the NWA, winning the World Tag Championships four times, along with many regional singles titles. He would also help train and mentor such wrestlers as Nikita Koloff, Crusher Khrushchev, Barbarian, and Warlord. Koloff would be inducted into the Professional Wrestling and Wrestling Observer Newsletter for contributions to the sport of wrestling. Ivan Koloff's win at Madison Square Garden was a surprising one, but needed as a new face challenger was extending the ranks of the WWWF to lead them into a new decade. Ivan Koloff was but a transitional champion, as three weeks later, on February 8, 1971, Pedro Morales would defeat him to become the fourth WWWF champion. Pedro Morales, born October 22, 1942, on the island of Clubra, off the shore of Puerto Rico's main island. He would make his professional debut in 1959 on a card held in New York City. Morales would travel the world plying his trade, wrestling in many promotions including the NWA and AWA. But his biggest break would come in the WWWF, winning the vacant United States Championship and then the WWWF Championship a month later. He would hold the title for over 1,000 days, which remains the longest reign ever by a Latino. Pedro Morales would also become the first man in history to win the Triple Crown in the WWF, as he would win the Tag Team Championship and the Intercontinental Championship in 1980. Morales also still holds the record for most days combined as IC Champion over his two reigns. After his retirement in 1987, Morales would become a commentator for the WWF's Spanish-language programming. He would also be inducted into the Professional Wrestling, WWF, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames for his accomplishment. Across the Pacific Ocean, Japan was becoming a hotbed of professional wrestling. The Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance had been formed in 1953 as a territory to represent the NWA in Japan by Rikidozen, a former Rikishi. Many performers would come from the sumo ranks in the early days, but many Americans would come and have strong feuds. Rikidozen would begin to expand into other ventures because of the success. Sadly, it would result in his death to the hands of a gangster at the peak of the JWA. After his death, the company continued to operate as the premier wrestling circuit until the late 60s when a rival promotion that had teamed up with the AWA challenged that dominance. The JWA would continue for 10 more years until their two biggest stars decided to leave and form their own promotion. With their top stars now gone, the JWA would fold within a year. Those two promotions would become what we know today as All Japan Pro Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Antonio Inoki would run the first New Japan show on March 6, 1972, 
securing a TV deal by the next year and would be overseen by the International Wrestling Grand Prix. They would team up with the National Wrestling Federation for use of their national for use of their heavyweight championship until 1983. Dory Funk Jr. had held the NWA World Heavyweight Championship for over four years until May 24, 1973 in Kansas City, when he would lose to Harley Race in a stunning upset. Harley Race, born in Missouri in 1943, would grow up watching professional wrestling. He would train with former world champion Stan Slod, Zabisco, and he would be seen as a rising star until a car accident which killed his first wife who was pregnant at the time and his leg nearly had to be amputated. He would recover and began jumping from territory to territory winning regional titles including being the first winner of the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. Harley Race would go on to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship eight times over his career, and is one of six men to be inducted into each of the WWE, WCW, NWA, Professional Wrestling, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Harley Race had held the title for less than two months when he was presented with the 10 pounds of gold version of the NWA World Heavyweight Championship on July 20th, 1973 in Houston, Texas. Jack Briscoe would immediately challenge for that belt the same night and win to become the 12th man to hold the title. Whew. Jack Briscoe, born in Blackwell, Oklahoma in 1941, grew up a fan of Luthez and professional wrestling. He would go on to Oklahoma State and become the first Native American to win an NCAA wrestling championship as he was never taken down his entire senior year. He would move into the professional ranks in 1965, winning regional titles wherever he went. Jack and his brother Gerald would tag together and have a multi-year feud with Dory and Terry Funk. Jack Briscoe was supposed to face Dory Funk Jr. for the world championship, but Harley Race would win it before they could face each other. But after Briscoe became champ, he would tour NWA territories across the world facing top name after top name. He would hold the title for 500 days until he met a giant in Japan. During Pedro Morales' three-year run as the heavyweight champion, the WWWF would quietly rejoin the NWA, but would retain their title history. But it would end December 1st, 1973 in Philadelphia, when Morales would hit a belly-to-back suplex on Stan Stasiak. And as the ref made the count, Stasiak would get his shoulder up, while Morales' shoulders stayed down. Stan Stasiak, born in Quebec in 1937, would make his wrestling debut in 1958, using the bear hug as a finisher. Later in his career, he would adopt the heart punch. Throughout his career, Crusher would win countless championships around the country and infuriating fans far and wide with his antagonizing behavior. On that day in Philly, he would become the fifth man to hold the championship and would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame for his achievements. But a former world champion would be his very next opponent at the mecca of pro wrestling, Madison Square Garden. Stan Stasiak had just defeated Pedro Morales for the WWWF Heavyweight Championship. But Bruno Sammartino had a title shot lined up for 10 days later 
in Madison Square Garden. Bruno had been preparing for Morales. After tagging in a series of matches, Professor Tanaka would blind both Morales and San Martino with salt, and they were maneuvered into fighting each other. Even after their eyes cleared, they would continue to brawl. But on December 10, 1973, Bruno Sammartino would regain the championship for the second time from Stasiak, holding on to the belt for another three and a half years. In this time, he would suffer a legitimate neck fracture from Stan Hansen. Two months after it happened, they would square off again as the undercard of the Antonio Inoki Muhammad Ali match. Oh, that's really cool. By April of 1974, San Martino's injuries were starting to get the best of him, and a new superstar was rising. The National Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship was created for the NWF promotion that ran out of the New York, Eastern Canada area in the 1970s. Such wrestlers as Ernie Ladd, Abdullah the Butcher, and Jacques Rougeau would all hold the title at some point until Johnny Powers took the belt with him on a tour to Japan. Powers would face off against Antonio Inoki at the World Title Challenge Series on December 10th, 1973. Inoki would win that day, and the NWF Heavyweight Championship would become the first major NJPW title. Antonio Inoki, born in 1943 to a businessman and politician, but the family would fall on hard times post-war. So his family would move to Brazil, where he would meet Rika Dozen. He would make his professional wrestling debut in 1960 in the Japanese Wrestling Association, while training in the dojo with Giant Baba. These two legends would dominate the JWA tag ranks for the next 10 years. In 1976, Inoki would face Muhammad Ali, in the most famous wrestling bout that led to the creation of MMA. For all of his accomplishments, Inoki is a member of the NJPW, Professional Wrestling, WCW, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Jack Briscoe had been the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion for 500 days when he went on a tour of Japan. Giant Baba would defeat Briscoe on December 2nd, 1974, to become the 13th NWA champion. Giant Baba, born in 1938 in Nagata, Japan, with gigantism. Nevertheless, he excelled at a baseball and would join the Yomuri Giants in 1955 as a pitcher. That's a giant person playing baseball. He would win the Best Pitcher Award three times before being forced to retire after he almost lost his eyesight. Baba would meet Rika Dojin while with the Giants, who would convince him to try professional wrestling. Giant Baba would then train in the Japanese Wrestling Association's dojo with Antonio Inoki when he debuted in 1960. The two would dominate the tag team division of the JWA during the 60s. After Rika Dozen's death, Giant Baba would start All Japan Pro Wrestling and become the biggest star holding the top title for almost 2,000 days. Oh my god, that's a little much. Making 38 successful defenses. For his accomplishments, Baba has been inducted into the Professional Wrestling and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Giant Baba had defeated Jack Briscoe for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship on December 4th. But Briscoe's tour was almost up in Japan, so he was determined to make sure he was the champion when he returned to the United States. 
So just five days after losing the belt, Jack Briscoe would win back the championship in Toyohashi. After his time as champion, he would wrestle across the U.S., winning many regional titles, before finding a home in Georgia Championship Wrestling, where he would become the first NWA National Heavyweight Champion. By 1984, he and his brother Gerald had acquired minority stakes in GCW and convinced the shareholders to sell to the WWF. Jack would leave the business by 1985 and run a body shop for over 30 years. Jack Briscoe's greatest rivalry was with the Funk Brothers, and the great Texan himself would be Briscoe's most formidable foe as champion. After Antonio Inoki would defeat Johnny Powers in Japan, the NWF Heavyweight Championship would become the major title for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Inoki would hold the title for over a year until he was forced to vacate the title for refusing to face Tiger Jeet Singh in a defense. But a month later, the two men would face each other in Hiroshima at the Big Fight series on March 13, 1975, where Singh would become champion. Tiger Jeet Singh, born April 3, 1944, in Punjab, India. He would immigrate to Canada, training in Toronto and making his debut in 1965. He would move up the card quickly, challenging for the NWA and WWWF championships within two years. In 1972, Singh would visit Japan and got into a brawl with Inoki in a shopping center. This would be the start of a major feud between the two men, including Inoki breaking Singh's arm in a match a year before the title win. Singh would hold the belt for over 100 days before a rematch in Tokyo with his greatest rival. After the rivalry had ruled New Japan throughout 1975, Antonio Inoki would have a rematch with Tiger Jeet Singh at the Golden Eye Series in Tokyo, Japan on June 26, 1975. Inoki would win back the NWF Heavyweight Championship to begin his second reign and would hold on to the title for over 1,600 days. The NWF was considered a world title by those in Japan, but New Japan was ordered by the NWA to stop referring to it as such in 1976. But the title would continue to be the top title for New Japan for many years. Jack Briscoe had returned from Japan as champion and would defend the belt for over a year. Until December 10th, 1975, in Miami, Florida. He was supposed to face Dory Funk Jr. that night, but when Dory failed to appear, his brother, Terry Funk, would step up to the challenge to become the 15th NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Terry Funk, born 1944 in Hand, Indiana, where he grew up in the professional wrestling business, starting his career in his father's promotion in 1965. He would spend the first 17 years of his career between Amarillo and Florida's NWA promotions, while also spending a lot of time in All Japan, where he would become a star. For his accomplishments in the world of professional wrestling, Terry Funk would be inducted into the hardcore WCW, NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. His title reign would last over a year until a handsome former champion, came calling. Terry Funk had held the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship for 14 months when he walked into Toronto, Ontario, Canada on February 6, 1977. 
That night, former champion Harley Race would win the title to begin his second reign as champion. Race, after losing the belt four years prior, had been going from territory to territory, collecting several regional titles, including becoming the first Mid-Atlantic United States champion, which is still defended to this day as the WWE United States Championship. All of these title wins would keep Harley in contention for the world title, and Race vowed he would only need one chance to regain it. In the match against Funk, Harley Race would use an Indian Deathlock, a rarely used submission hold, but one that would put great pressure on Funk's injured leg. After winning the belt, Race would go on to show his dominance by defending the title up to six times a week and holding the belt for over three years. Bruno Sammartino had held the WWWF Heavyweight Championship for over 1,200 days until superstar Billy Graham would become the seventh champion on April 30th 1977 in Baltimore, Maryland. Billy Graham, born 1943 in Phoenix, Arizona, to a working class family. As a teenager, he would become interested in bodybuilding, even winning a competition in 1971 and training with Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. He would begin his training in professional wrestling under Stu Hart, debuting early in 1970. Billy Graham would work all over the country traveling from AWA to NWA, gaining experience before getting his big break in Florida, taking their heavyweight title from Dusty Rhodes. He would make his way to WWWF to defeat San Martino and be a heel champion for over nine months. During his time, he would even have a title versus title match against the NWA world heavyweight champion, Harley Race. For his contributions and accomplishments, that include being the inspiration for many wrestlers such as Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura, superstar Billy Graham is inducted into the Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Graham would hold on to his title till a clean-cut challenger would step forward. Superstar Billy Graham had held the title for close to 300 days until he showed up to Madison Square Garden on February 20th, 1978. Bob Backlund, after several attempts at the belt, would finally break through, even though Graham's foot was on the rope, to become the 8th WWWF heavyweight champion. Backlund, born 1949 in Princeton, Minnesota, would win an NCAA Division II wrestling championship while at North Dakota State. He would take his talents to the AWA and debut in 1973. His clean-cut look and technical approach made him a fan favorite. He would travel the country winning several regional titles before making his way to the WWWF. After his championship win, he would take on all challenges, even Antonio Inoki while on a Japanese tour. During Bob Backlund's reign, the WWWF, would once again leave the NWA and change their name to World Wrestling Federation. For his contributions and accomplishments, Bob Backlund would be inducted into the Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Backlund would hold on to the title for over five years until an Iranian heel would make his presence known.
Harley Race had taken the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship and held it for over 900 days. But he would head to Tampa, Florida to face the son of a plumber, Dusty Rhodes, who would become the 17th NWA Champion on August 21st, 1979. Dusty Rhodes, born 1945 in Austin, Texas, would see an advertisement in the newspaper for a promotion in Boston. Rhodes would bluff his way onto the company's roster, despite not having any wrestling experience. He would continue to gain that experience working all over the world, despite not having the normal wrestler's physique. His charisma, personality, and mic work made him a fan favorite, particularly in Florida, where he would headline. For his accomplishments and contributions, Dusty Rhodes is one of seven men to be inducted into all of the following Hall of Fames. WCW, NWA, Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter. But his first world title reign was not without challenges, as Harley Race would demand a rematch. Dusty Rhodes had won the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship in Tampa, Florida. But Harley Race demanded a rematch when they met up in Orlando just five days later on August 26, 1979. Race would win back the championship for the third time. A few months later, Harley Race would embark on a tour of Japan, and just as with Jack Briscoe six years prior, Giant Baba would get a title shot. Baba would defeat Race on Halloween, October 1979, in Nagoya, Japan, to become a two-time champion, hitting his special move, the running neckbreaker drop. Harley was determined to make sure he was still champion when he returned to the United States, so they had one more match in Amagasaki <laughs> seven days later, with his wife and son sitting at ringside as blood spouted from Race's forehead, would use Baba's momentum against him on a flying body press to regain the title and become a four-time champion. Harley Race would continue his dominance for the next year until a return trip to Japan would see these two men step into the ring once again. Antonio Inoki had held the NWF Heavyweight Championship for over four years when Stan Hansen would defeat him at the New Year Golden Series in Tokyo on February 8, 1980, after a lariat would send Inoki to the floor and would be counted out. Stan Hansen, born 1949 in Waco, Texas, would make his professional debut in 1973. He would travel and team up with Bruiser Brody, while working territories. Hansen would make his way to the WWWF and begin feuding with Bruno Sammartino. His lariat would become world famous for having broken Bruno's neck during one of their matches. Stan Hansen would head to New Japan Pro Wrestling and quickly become a top heel as a loud, violent cowboy who wanted to fight everybody. Later in his career, he would become even more successful in All Japan and then spending time in WCW and AWA as well. For his accomplishments in the world of wrestling, Stan Hansen is a professional wrestling, wrestling observer, and WWE Hall of Famer. Hansen would hold his first major championship until one of the most dominant men in Japanese wrestling would want a rematch. After Stan Hansen had won the NWF Heavyweight Championship, Antonio Inoki knew he would need to be at his best to regain the title. On April 3, 1980, in Tokyo, Anoki would match Hansen's intensity move for move to achieve his mission of winning back the belt. 
Even after Hansen would hit a suplex on the apron, Anoki would go to the air with a flying knee from the top rope before suplexing Stan to get the pin for his third NWF reign. Antonio Anoki would hold the belt for another year when the Lariat would challenge once again. Harley Race had come back from Japan in 1979, again as NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. So when he decided to go back in 1980, Giant Baba had to have another chance at the belt. So on September 4th, 1980, after many near falls, Baba would hit the reverse bulldog to regain the belt for the third time in Saga, Japan. Again, Race was determined not to leave Japan without the championship around his waist when he headed back to the States. So the two men would meet five days later in Atsu, where Harley would hit an early pile driver to gain control of the match. But after missing a top rope headbutt, Baba would make a comeback until he would head to the top rope, only for Race to crotch him. Giant Baba would fall to the mat, and Harley would cover him for the victory and to start his fifth reign, which would give him the most reigns ever as NWA World's heavyweight champion. Harley Race would hold onto the title for over seven months until he met a wildfire he couldn't put out. After holding the NWF heavyweight championship for over 400 days, Antonio Inoki would meet Stan Hansen on April 17, 1981, at the Big Fight Series 2 in Kagoshima, Japan. The two would have a hard-fought match that would end in a no contest that would hold up the belt. Six days later, on the same tour, Anoki and Hansen would meet again in Tokyo. This time, Antonio would win the match after a top-rope knee drop for the three-count. Anoki would then immediately vacate the title again so he could compete in the 1981 IWGP League the precursor to the G1 Climax. New Japan Pro Wrestling would then deactivate the championship until 2003, with the new IWGP Heavyweight Championship taking its place as the top title. Harley Race had returned from Japan as the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, and continued to defend it across the country on a regular basis. Race would make his way to Georgia Championship Wrestling in April 1981, where their top star at the time, Tommy Wildfire Rich would challenge for the belt on April 17th in Augusta, Georgia. Rich would win in an upset heard around the world after a Thez press. Tommy Rich, born 1956 in Henderson, Tennessee, would make his professional debut in 1974 after training with Jerry Jarrett. Rich would alternate his time between the regional territories of the South, having feuds with every major heel, including Ivan Koloff and Ole Anderson. For his accomplishments, Rich is an NWA Hall of Famer. After winning the title, Tommy Rich would defend it every day for the next week, when on April 23rd, Harley Race would win the title back to become a six-time champion. To this day, the title change is still one of the greatest mysteries in wrestling history, but it did prove that on any day, anyone could win. On June 21st, 1981, Race would meet a former champion, Dusty Rhodes, in a classic battle. The two men would battle on the outside, just making their way back into the ring in time, before Rhodes would then come off the top rope with a crossbody to get the pin and become a two-time champion. Dusty would continue on Harley's punishing schedule that was set up until he would meet a young nature boy. 
Dusty Rhodes had held the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship for 88 days, leading up to September 17, 1981. He would make his way to Kansas City to face a new challenger, Ric Flair. The Nature Boy would win the title that night to start his first reign as champion. Ric Flair, born 1949 in Memphis, Tennessee, was adopted to a doctor and journalist. The family would move to Minnesota for his childhood, and in 1971, Flair would tend a Vern Gagne wrestling camp that also included names such as Greg Gagne, <laughs> Jim Brunzel, Iron Sheik, and Ken Patera. He would make his debut in 1972 and work in the AWA for a couple of years. After that, Ric Flair would make his way to the Mid-Atlantic region, working for Jim Crockett Productions in 1974. His career, though, was nearly ended when he was in a serious plane crash, breaking his back in three places. He was told he would never wrestle again. Flair would make his comeback eight months later and win the NWA United States Heavyweight Belt five times over the next three years. He would reach elite status when Flair would beat the original Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers, in a match. After defeating Dusty Rhodes for the title, Flair would hold the world championship more than anyone else ever had and would be inducted into the NWA Professional Wrestling, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and twice into the WWE, once as an individual and once as a member of the Four Horsemen Hall of Fames. Ric Flair's title win would start a run of almost two years as champ, but a stubborn former champion would challenge before the modern era of wrestling would start. After holding the title for 631 days, Ric Flair would meet Harley Race on June 10, 1983. Race would win the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship for the seventh time, breaking the previous record held by Luthez. Harley was determined not to lose the title back to the Nature Boy, so he offered a $25,000 bounty to anyone who would eliminate the former champion. Bob Orton and Dick Slater would attack Flair, inflicting what some considered a career-ending injury, and collected the bounty when Ric Flair would announce his retirement. But it was all a ruse, and the NWA officials set up a rematch. In 1983... New Japan Pro Wrestling would hold the first International Wrestling Grand Prix, the precursor to the G1 Climax. Ten men would enter into a round-robin format, with the two men with the most points meeting on June 2nd, 1983, to determine the champion. The finals would feature Antonio Inoki and a young Hulk Hogan. The two would go back and forth for 20 minutes until Hogan would hit his axe bomber to knock Inoki from the apron knocking him completely out. Hulk Hogan, born 1953 in Augusta, Georgia, the son of a construction worker and a dance instructor. He had a promising baseball career, but an injury derailed his dreams. But growing up in the Tampa area, he idolized Dusty Rhodes and superstar Billy Graham. While working out at a gym one day, the Briscoe brothers were impressed by Hulk's physique and would introduce Hogan to Hiro Matsuda to begin training. In mid-1977, Hulk Hogan would make his debut in Florida and would begin making tours through other territories, including winning his first title in Tennessee in 1979. Later that year, Hogan would be in introduced as a heel in the WWF, 
wrestling greats such as Ted DiBiase, Bob Backlund, and Andre the Giant, with Freddie Blassie as his manager. After spending some time in the AWA and making an appearance in Rocky III, Hogan would return to the WWF and the rise of Hulkamania was set, becoming one of the biggest names ever in wrestling. For his accomplishments, Hogan has been inducted into the Greatest 18 Club, the Professional Wrestling, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and twice into the WWE Hall of Fame. Hulk Hogan would have to vacate the IWGP Heavyweight Championship after holding it for over a year because he was unable to compete in the 1984 version. So a new champion with a familiar face would emerge. The NWA was setting up a supercard called Starcade in Greensboro, North Carolina for November 24th, 1983. The main event would be a steel cage match between Harley Race and Ric Flair. The rivalry had become so heated that a special referee was needed to control the mayhem, bringing in a former NWA champion, Gene Kanitsky. Race and Flair would have a heated contest with Harley pulling out everything to work on the Nature Boy's neck, while Flair would continuously slam Race's head into the cage until they were both a bloody mess. Ric Flair would come off the top rope with a crossbody to regain the title for the second time. The rivalry between these two men would continue across the entire world, but this match was largely seen as the torch passing for the NWA. About a year into Bob Backlund's run as champion, the WWWF would become the World Wrestling Federation. The WWF Championship would be held by Backlund for over five years until the Iron Sheik would defeat him when the champion's manager, Arnold Scollum, threw in the towel while Backlund was in the camel clutch on December 26, 1983 There's at your Madison style. Square Garden. The Iron Sheik, born 1942 in Tehran, Iran, grew up in a working-class family. He would grow up idolizing Iranian Olympic gold medalist wrestler Glamoreza Takidi, which led him to becoming an Olympian himself in 1968. He would move to the U.S. and become an assistant coach for the wrestling squads in the early 70s. Vern Gagne would then invite Sheik to come train and be in the same class as Ric Flair. He would soon adopt the, his signature look and begin wrestling all across the country as a notorious heel. He would later go on to train such names as Ricky Steamboat, Jim Brunzel, and Greg Gagne. For his accomplishments in the world of wrestling, the Iron Sheik is an NWA and WWE Hall of Famer. Sheik's reign wasn't long as he would soon see the beginning of the mania no. that would change Don't do wrestling. It. Don't do it. Break his leg. Break his leg. Forever. <laughs> On January 23rd, 1984, the Iron Sheik was supposed to face Bob Backlund in a rematch. But the former champion didn't show up, so he was replaced in the main event by Hulk Hogan. Hogan would power out of a camel clutch, ram the Iron Sheik into the turnbuckles, and the atomic lead drop for the pin and the beginning of Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan would dominate the WWF for the rest of the 80s and into the 90s with his heroic all-American persona. He would introduce the three demandments of training, saying prayers, and eating vitamins. 
Eventually a fourth of believing in yourself would be added. He would appear in the first nine WrestleManias as he was the face of the WWF. Hulk Hogan's first reign would be over four years until he met the giant in the biggest main event ever to date. After Ric Flair and Harley Race had their classic matchup at Starcade 1983, they would continue to feud all around the world. The two would make their way to Wellington, New Zealand on March 20th, 1984, where Race would win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship for the eighth and final time in his career. The two would match up again three days later in Kalang, Singapore, where Ric Flair would take back the belt for his third reign and would hold on to it until a whirling wind of a man would step to take his chance. After holding on to the title for a little over a month, Ric Flair would meet Kerry Von Erich in Irving, Texas on May 6, 1984 at the first Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. The show was held in memory of David Von Erich who had passed away earlier in the year. David was supposed to be challenging Flair at some point, but with his premature death, Kerry would take the Nature Boy on, winning the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Kerry Von Erich, born 1960 in Niagara Falls, New York, was the son of Fritz Von Erich and the fourth of six brothers in the family. Von Erich would make his debut in his father's promotion NWA Texas Big Time Wrestling in 1979. He would win many regional championships, but he didn't become a main event mainstay until he would defeat Harley Race in a match in 1982. The Von Erichs would join forces to feud with the fabulous Freebirds, trading the NWA six-man tag team championships between them for many years. After winning the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship, he would continue to work until a motorcycle accident would nearly end his life and forcing the doctors to amputate his right leg. But Von Erich would make his comeback only eight months later. Kerry Von Erich would make his way to the WWF, winning an Intercontinental Championship during his time and would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame along with the rest of the Von Erich family for their contributions to the world of wrestling. Kerry Von Erich would hold the NWA belt for 18 days when he and Ric Flair would meet again in Yokosuka, Japan on May 24, 1984. The Nature Boy would win in a controversial way as Von Erich had his feet on the ropes, but Nature would carry the NWA banner for over two years, which would include the introduction of Big Gold. Hulk Hogan had won the initial IWGP League in 1983 and was supposed to return to defend the title against the winner of the next year's tournament. But Hogan was unable to return, so the winner of the league would again become champion. The tournament featuring 12 wrestlers, with Antonio Inoki scoring more points than Andre the Giant, became the 1984 winner. Inoki would defend the title against the 1985 league winner in Andre the Giant, and later in the year versus the returning Hulk Hogan defeating both. The following year, Antonio Inoki made the decision to vacate the title so that then he could compete in the 1986 IWGP League. During that rendition of the tournament, Inoki would pin Dick Murdoch 
in the finals to again become the IWGP Heavyweight Champion. This would be the last time this version of the IWGP Championship would be used. The title would be deactivated and replaced by a newer version in time for the 1987 League. Ric Flair had been champion for over two years and had received the new version of the belt, Big Gold, a few months prior. When Flair and Dusty Rhodes would meet at the Great American Bash on July 26, 1986. Flair and Hardy defended the belt 12 times during the Great American Bash tour over the course of a month. But his last offense in Greensboro, North Carolina didn't go his way. Inside a steel cage, the two men would face off and both would come out in a bloody mess. Dusty would lock on figure fours, hit elbow drops, but eventually a small package would get the three count and make Rhodes a three-time champion. The American Dream would celebrate being a champion until the Nature Boy would come calling for a rematch. After winning the belt at the Great American Bash, Dusty Rhodes would meet Ric Flair in a rematch two weeks later on August 9th, 1986 in St. Louis, Missouri. Flair would attack the leg, wearing it down until the Nature Boy could apply the figure four in the center of the ring. The American Dream would turn it over momentarily, but Nate would roll it back, and Dusty was too tired to continue, leaving his shoulders on the mat for a three count. That's a lot of beef to move around. Ric Flair would become a five-time world champion with the win, and would hold the title for over a year, until a man with hands of stone would face him. Antonio Inoki had won the IWGP League to become champion again, but New Japan Pro Wrestling would deactivate that title in 1987, only to have a new championship take its place. The winner of the 1987 IWGP League would be the inaugural champion. Fourteen wrestlers would take place in two blocks of seven, with Masa Saito and Antonio Inoki scoring the most points to then face off in the final. After a hard-fought, nearly 15-minute match, with by the end Saito thinking he had won the match with his patented backdrop suplex, Inoki reversed a second suplex attempt into a pinning position and earned the three count, although without having controversy as Saito seemed to have kicked out. But it was determined by the end it was too late. Antonio Inoki would hold the title for almost a year when he would have to vacate it due to a fracture in his foot. Two future champions would then meet to determine a new champion. Next week, Best of Wrestling History X, Volume, Volume 2, 1990-1992. through 1992. Gonna spotlight a few of uh, the matches that stuck with us, the ones that made us pop out of our seats and the ones that had us furiously texting each other as we watched them, uh, you know, in our in our homes, spoiling the shit out of it for each other, <laughs> most likely. Hopefully not too much, but... I mean, Matt's always a little bit ahead, so I know it's safe. A lot of the times I'll just text him because I don't want to fuck it up for Shane sometimes. I'll be like, hey, because I know you're always at least a week ahead of me. I mean, I'm like 25 years ahead of you, but... Oh, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So you've already seen it all. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. 
if I see one Eric Watt or one Doctor Death, I might riot. But... What on this show? Um, yes, on the uh, on come next on, week's you know show. what's better than that? Oh, on next yeah next week's collection. I, I can promise you, he's not on either either show. All right, this week's or last or next week. But I do have an announcement to make. Oh. You quit? I, 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 I'm that sucks. The, I know. I'm like, I don't know what he's the gonna edge say. Of the seats. I really don't. So we are going to take a break. Did you sell out to Spotify? That'd be pretty cool. I mean, not quite yet. <laughs> I don't hate my job, but you know, I don't I'm, love I'm it. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> to my friends at Spotify, what kind of food do you like? I will feature it. But we are going to take a break from the dusty finishes. As, I mean, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we covered 24 years in about 40 episodes. Yeah. So. Need some time to catch up going to let history <laughs> kind of let us get a little bit farther. Yeah, we're going to create a buffer. Exactly. And maybe and something that's, uh, you know, a, a fun buffer. I, I hope so. Because I am going to put Michael and Shane to the trivia test. Yay! I know, I feel like I don't trust myself. I promise. Yeah. I've made the questions. Mm-hmm. Equally as hard for both of you. Okay. I believe you. But I feel like there might need to be a little wager. Ooh. Oh. I'm not much of a gambling man. Hmm. Would y'all be willing for the loser to sing a theme song? Oh, man. I mean, I can. Like, I got do no I problem write, with that. Do I, write the, do I have to write the theme song? No. Oh. We would pick a theme song for you to sing. And then you would just sing it for us. Like, a, like, what do you mean by theme song? Like a wrestling theme song. When it comes song. crashing oh. down and it hurts inside. Oh, yeah. I mean, whatever. That's fine with that. I sprung this on them. Yeah, they, yeah. They had no clue. I don't mind. This was coming. Yeah. I, I won't have to listen to it. You'll have to edit it, so I don't mind singing into a microphone <laughs> like a jackass. As long as I don't have to hear it again. Like, can we skip that part of the episode? That's all about if you to, listen back. to edit it, though. Yeah. It could just come through. You can fix it in post. Sensor. You can auto tune me. It'll still be bad. I can do lots of things. <laughs> Make you sound like Mickey Mouse. Uh, oh, there we go. But that new segment, which we're going to call Making Their Way to the Ring, will start in episode 83, a couple weeks from now. But speaking of music, if you like any, the music from this week is New Body by Audio Adrenaline. That's the music that we usually play underneath the dusty finish uh, opening. It's your dusty bumper. It's my dusty bumper. And Bell Bottoms by John Spencer Blues Explosion. And that's the bumper music usually under the Smarking It Up. Ah. Can't really hear them that well. This time you get to hear more. But they're there, and you get to hear them a little bit more. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can always hit us up on our email at reversalinghistoryx at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week.